Oh, oh, well, the weekend. I'm not angry about the weekend. I'm not like. A- <laughs> oh, sorry. Well, to, sorry. Be honest, well, to be honest, I have to say, like, the weekend had one of the like the weekend had a great album, but we he didn't get recognised <laughs> that either. The weekend's great album is the one with uh, reminder on it. I feel it coming, fe- featuring Daft Punk. It's also a massive tune. I feel it coming. <laughs> great. Oh. Okay, well, uh, welcome to the Southwest Londoner <laughs> Six Nations podcast. Uh, I'm Chris Byfield, and I'm excited to get into a wonderful weekend of rugby, as Johnny put it. So, yeah, Johnny's here. How are you doing, mate? Oh, mate, yeah, I'm chuffed to bits to be here. Thank you. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, Thomas, how are you doing? Yeah, good to be here, thanks. If uh, if Johnny's as, uh, you know, as angry about Wales potentially winning the Six Nations as he is about the weekend's snub at the Grammys, then I think we're in for a good pod. <laughs> I really think we, we are. Louis, what's going on? Uh, not too much. Kind of a bit of a bit of a rough weekend sport-wise, but uh, I'm, I'm more than willing to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to be. Uh, were you at least happy that the Strokes picked up a Grammy award? Yeah, I was quite happy with the acceptance speech. It took a good 30 seconds for them to find out, which yeah. is uh, quite funny. It was quite funny. And Tom Masters, you actually enjoyed this weekend of sport, didn't you? Finally, England. I, I did. I loved it. It was great. <laughs> it was very positive for you. Really, really appreciate it. We're going to have stats from SP Sapper throughout the podcast, so I hope you enjoy that also. Anyway, on to the pod. It's a sin thing. England 23, France 20. A shock at Twickenham this weekend. Probably the best game of rugby all tournament, um, in my opinion. And who'd have thought if England actually attack a team, they're quite good. So I'm going to go to Tom Masters first. Uh, I know you enjoyed this. What do you think of the England performance? Uh, Well, I didn't expect it, that's for sure. And in the end, I'm going to go back to negative Tom just for a brief period. Uh, it was in, ended up being bittersweet because of the fact that now Wales had basically handed the tournament. But from an England perspective, that was that was lovely. It was good to see as well that a couple of changes are made. You know, you bring Malins in and, and then suddenly everything's not fine and dandy, but we, you put out the performance and you win. Uh, and I don't think France played badly either. In fact, like those two tries they scored were just pure class. So I think England stepped up and beat a very good France team on the day. Yeah, it was probably our best performance, arguably, since the World Cup. Um, and definitely one of the best performances for Farrell, for Atoje, for all, for all the big guns in a long while. Uh, how, how did you, what do you think of this England performance, Johnny? Did it give you a bit of hope for the future? Did it give you a bit of faith in Eddie Jones that he can bring more success to this England team? Yeah, I don't think there was, I don't think I ever really personally doubted Jones's ability to get the best out of the England team. I just thought, 
I just thought we looked knackered and sort of and and tiresome and and a bit and a bit lumbering and and, and rubbish really, right? But um, I I knew the quality I, I knew the quality was there. I, I was just happy to see all of those sort of I would I mean, as you said I was happy to see a lot of those Saracens players come back into form. I thought Billy was really good. I thought Mara was fantastic. I thought Owen was all right. Uh, but the player I was actually really impressed by, and I, I thought was I, I thought his performance actually was sort of quite quite indicative of of, of the England performance was uh, Daly when he came off the bench. I thought Malins was very good, but I thought Daly was actually really really fantastic once he came on and um, and really pushed England towards that win in the end. So after we recorded the uh, preview, I know we were a bit uh, we were a bit fifty fifty on on what way it was going to go. But I sort of actually felt felt that. As the um, game got closer, I felt that England could be in a bit of trouble. Uh, so to get a win was actually a really pleasant surprise. I was actually really happy with the result. Well, yeah, our predictions were very negative. I mean, some of them were were at least 10, 15 points in the favour of France. So you, you have to be pleasantly surprised, I guess. Somebody who won't be pleasantly surprised is Louis Pacheur. Uh I mean, what do, you, what do you take from this performance as a France fan? You just move on? No, I think the game sort of showed up the issues that we've had in games that we've won, but that haven't really cost us to this point. We saw that in the last uh, 20 minutes, France have slowed down in basically all their games. You know, that Sean Edwards Bliss defence is quite knackering and uh, their subs have never really had quite the impact that I think Gautier would like. And he also didn't really use that 6-2 bench. He brought on a couple of them after an hour and then only brought on a couple more sort of uh, around the 70, 75th minute mark. So he didn't even really use the strategy that he planned before the game, which might have worked if they brought on six forwards and really sort of injected some uh, some energy into that team at like 55, 60 minutes. It could have made a huge difference down the down the stretch there and they, uh, they could have made a lot more of a difference late on. I feel like the main issue we saw during the game was that whichever team had the ball was very dangerous and was very likely to get points at some point. And in the second half, France just couldn't hold on to the ball. England did a much better job of keeping control of it even though they were behind you could see that they had a lot more composure and eventually that paid yeah I mean, it was a bit of a shootout in the end which is what made it fun I guess as a France fan if you win the last two games but don't win the tournament it will still be a positive tournament do you think or do you think you have to I know you can't get the grand slam anymore but do you think you have to finish top spot to feel satisfied with this tournament I think the team will say that they need to win it for it to be a good tournament. But I think if they put in two really strong performances and win their last two games, then that's sort of, that's what we want to see. Like, obviously you need to start winning trophies at some point, but getting the wins is sort of, you know, that's the, that's the primary, like minimum objective. So if they can do that, then it's not like the tournament's a failure, but it will be a massive letdown if they don't come back with silverware. I mean, France players will obviously have wanted silverware, but do you think long-term you can only take positives out of this tournament, Thomas? Yeah, I think the I think what Louis was saying before the the tournament even started about France playing the kind of the kind of rugby that neutrals really like to watch was clearly clearly in evidence here, right? Because it was a proper, like you say, end-to-end match. I think for any you know maybe part-time rugby fans, this was like this was the ideal game because there was always something happening. And I think France can take a lot of positives from that game, even if they didn't, you know, the headline is obviously that they didn't win and it's still, you know, no wins at Twickenham since 2005. But actually the strides they made there, they really gave England a run for their money. I thought for for the life of me, for all of that first half, that they were going to win it. Uh, and it was only like a really spirited England performance, which which stopped them. I particularly liked uh, 
this quote from The Guardian that said, at this rate, uh, they could develop into the most endearing French ensemble cast since the last scenes, the, la- the last series of Call My Agent, which clearly shows he hasn't been watching Emily in Paris, if you ask me. <laughs> but I think there's something in that. And I think this is a really good omen for the, for the World Cup in a couple of years' time. Also, I've never seen Emily in Paris. Is it good, Thomas? Tom Masters will confirm that it's uh, it's good. It's it's watchable. It's watchable, is what I'd say. It, I'd say that's kind of been a bit harsh on the on the French team because they were a lot more entertaining there. Yeah, Tom, any thoughts on Emily in Paris before you have any thoughts on England? Uh, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. It was a lovely setting, and uh, I don't think the French liked it very much, though they weren't portrayed very well. But you know, bit of fun. England were clearly good in this game. As I said, they took the game to France. Why hadn't they been good before? They had all the players. They had all the tools. They, had, they should have had the confidence having won the, the Nations Cup and the previous six nations. What the hell went on before this game in the tournament? And why were they suddenly good now? Um, yeah, well, I think it's because of the core of the team, the Saracens players. You know, you look at Jamie George at Hooker, Billy at eight, and then Fowl as sort of the main, well, I guess Ford as well, but as a playmaker. And it takes them a while to get up to speed. They haven't played rugby since, what, December? So that's two months since they last played. And I think now we're seeing them get up to speed a bit and they all look much better. Um, so I think that's probably one of the reasons. I think obviously the media have been quite harsh. Well, maybe not harsh, because I've been, I've been doing it as well. I wouldn't call myself harsh. But they've been quite sort of negative, very negative in the, in the weeks running up to this game about the England team and about where they're going and about... Um, why are these players not being picked? Why are these players still being picked? So I think that would have kind of just added fire to the belly. And uh, on Saturday, they they just kind of did their thing, matched France almost blow to blow, and in the end struck the decisive one late on. Johnny, I know you, you're somebody who's been quite positive about this England team, despite the the underwhelming performances. But do you think... Generally, we were wrong to criticise them as a, as a pod, considering, as Thomas said in the last podcast, they're playing during a pandemic, which can't be fun. The half of their players have barely played since December. Do you think Jones got a lot of unfair criticism in this time? Or is, am I just making too many assumptions based on one game? I think there are definitely certain methods and certain tactics that Jones uses that need criticism. I don't think, I don't think the kicking game was particularly effective as it had been and was actually starting to wear off. I, 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 I do think it's it's the right of, of people in the media and, and the general public to criticise that. I think everything sort of needs to be looked at within a context, though, doesn't it? We've sort of just come off a World Cup final and then winning the next tournament we're in and, uh, and the Six Nations as well. And then we've come into this tournament and there's a real high expectation that, you know, at this point, England should be winning every game. And it's, it, but it's, it, it was just never going to be the case. I, I said at the beginning of the tournament, it wouldn't surprise me if this was the year that England had their down year in that four year cycle. I think this is the, like when we were talking about France as well, not winning this tournament. If I, if I was France, I would almost not be that bothered if the tournament wasn't won because I want my I want my four year cycle peaking just before the World Cup. Like realistically, you want to be winning the um, Six Nations, not the one immediately before the World Cup because usually a lot of players rest players in that Six Nations, but you want to be winning the one before that. Then you can sort of test and play around in the Six Nations after, and you're at your best for the World Cup. As long as England are in a good position going into that World Cup. It's not the end of the world to me if, 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 if we lose a few games, if it's for the greater good within that four-year context. Yeah, very utilitarian of you, Johnny. Um, clearly, Louis' BT man has knocked on the door and he's frantically ran off. So I think what a perfect time 
to stick in a Sapper's Corner before we conclude the England-France segment. So over to you, Sapper. Round us off with some stats. Salutations from Sapper's Corner. Sapper's Corner. Some amount of factual evidence, reason, and numbers. I love Sapper's Corner. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Sapper's Corner. Thanks, Chris. So yeah, it was a good result for England this weekend. They edged over France with possession with 56%, and of that possession, 59.34% of it was in France's half. Anthony Watson was man of the match for England, and he scored one try and broke four tackles. So he's now scored four tries in the Six Nations, which makes him the highest scorer. So he has been a great asset to England. For France, Dupont and Jalibert impressed again, with Dupont scoring a try and Jalibert bagging an assist. Dupont still remains the leader in try assists in the competition with four. Back to you, Chris. Thanks, Sapper. Really appreciated that. Anyway, on to the next game. Mo, mo, mo. How do you like it? How do you like it? Mo, mo, mo. Let's get ready. Mo, mo, mo. How do you like it? Scotland 24, Ireland 27. We all predicted a Scotland win, but Tom Masters, who claims to be quite smug. How are you feeling after your prediction has come true? Yeah, I mean, it was nice to know that I I still know rugby a little bit after getting the England game so badly wrong. Um, I kind of, I don't know. I think this is just classic Scotland, really. I think they kind of win one game and then their minds escape from us to where they are and they kind of go, oh, we can win the tournament now. Uh, and then they lose two games. Um, but to be fair, they showed good fight back at 24-10 down to come back and get, get it to 24 all. So can't be too harsh on them. But I think Ireland were the better team on the day. And as I kind of predicted, it would be Ireland's forwards that would win them that game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we'll come on to Ireland in a sec. But Johnny, do you would you agree with the kind of school of thought that this tournament perhaps came a bit too early for teams like Scotland, a bit too early for teams like France, and that maybe next year they can really attack the tournament properly. Yeah, possibly. I mean, to be honest, I was just a bit disappointed because I think really, I felt like at the beginning of this tournament this could have been Scotland's year. I was, I was, I was, I was. It was, it was. Oh yeah, it was very much that vibe for me. I was, I was, I was watching them and I, I in the All Nations Cup and sort of coming into the tournament and then in the first few games, obviously with the win against England, and I was like. Wow, if they can put this, if they can get this level of performance out for um, for for four or five games, then they could really, they really have a chance of winning this. But I think really what this tournament has shown is that although on their day Scotland are now a threat for anyone, they're still not at the level where they can go to a competition or a tournament or like or like the Six Nations, like the Autumn Nations Cup, like the World Cup, where they're going to be able to then put in a great performance one day, five days later, great performance, five days later, great performance which is what you need to be doing if you want to win uh, major tournaments. Hopefully, Scotland can continue moving in that direction, continue developing that depth that they need to be able to do that. If they can, then maybe next year will be there. Louis, you're back from uh, dealing with the BT, man. How was it? Yeah, it turns out he can't fix it. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Um, Give me me some positivity, some good thoughts about Ireland, because obviously they came away with a victory this weekend after a lot of stick from this podcast. 
What do you think of their performance? I mean, they proved me wrong. They really stepped up. I thought after the first two weeks, they really, first three weeks, they really didn't look good to me. And I thought, I'm a bit worried that they're going to come fifth. And they showed up against Scotland. They really, uh, they did the sort of classic Ireland thing where they just sort of ground out for a while, managed to get a lead with at least one sort of slightly uh, lucky try. And then they almost let it go at the end. You know, they weren't switched on 100% and they let Scotland come back. But I think they can be really happy with that. that that's, the, that's the template for how Ireland are probably going to win for a while because it's going to take them it's going to take them at least a few games to figure out how they're going to how they're going to beat the really really strong teams because it's not it's not really there yet. But with that line out setting the basis for a lot of their a lot of their uh, positive actions, uh, I think they've uh, they've got something now. Thomas, um, as the man with the quotes, often do you have any quotes that uh, have kind of summed up this game? Anything from the Guardian or maybe the Observer? I'm actually looking at the BBC's uh, report now, but th- this is actually one more which I'm probably stealing off Sapper's corner. But the fact that Scotland could have won despite losing 78% of their own lineout ball feels pretty uh, instructive, I think. But I think the most disappointing thing, right, which which Johnny's obviously touched on a bit there, is the fact that the that win against England in the first weekend is now starting to look like more and more of an anomaly, which is a real shame because I think I think we all saw that match as a bit of a turning point. And now it just seems to have been kind of a one-off win against a team who were who were probably pretty pretty exhausted on the whole, or not hadn't really played rugby for for ages. Which yeah, it is a shame. And I, I do wonder if this tournament came a little bit too soon for for Scotland. They clearly got some great players in there, uh, you know, likes of Finn Russell. But I mean, he was he was poor at the weekend, and you could you can only think that Johnny Sexton has sort of really staked a claim there to to be in with a chance with the Lions now. Six Nations is a strange tournament because we're get, we're doing two podcasts a week, but it's a very small sample size to decide whether a team is good or whether a team is bad. We're making these grand conclusions out of not much evidence. But do you know who does have good evidence of whether a team is good or bad? Paul Sapper in Sapper's Corner. I give that intro to Sapper's Corner a 10 out of 10. Welcome. Welcome. To Sapper's Corner. So here's the stats breakdown for Scotland vs. Ireland, which was another close match this weekend, which as we all know means the stats were of course also closely contested. Ireland edged it with possession with 53%, but Scotland actually spent 3 minutes 53 seconds in Ireland's 22, which is more than Ireland's 3 minutes 27 seconds. Tag Byrne was man of the match for Ireland, scoring one try and completing all six of his attempted tackles. He also had six carries, gaining 29 meters and completing two offloads. But that being said, Johnny Sexton also deserves an honorable mention as he converted a try in a late penalty in the 76th minute, which sealed victory for Ireland. I would say that for Scotland, Finn Russell was a standout player stats-wise, as he scored a try and bagged a conversion and penalty. What else can you really ask for? That's all I've got for this match, Chris. Thank you, Sapper. That was wonderful as always. Johnny, you thought Hamish Watson was, and I quote, filth. Talk to me. Yeah, I did think Hamish Watson is filth. Um, basically, I just thought he, I just thought he was such an all-round performance from him. I thought he was ridiculously powerful. I love when a back rower can carry with real aggression. I just think it's really I just think it really adds something to the attack and just general phase play as well. When you're taking the ball off nine, if you can get those extra yards and get a bit of momentum moving forward, and when you have back row who's 
can actually run at people and like I forget which second row it was, but he ran into one of the Irish second rows in the last five. Basically, just made him look like like set him back about five meters. He didn't go to the floor, but he literally stood back and was like, "Whoa, what just happened?" I was like, "Wow, yeah, no, Hamish Watson's an absolute machine." I think he's one of the things. I think uh, one of the big things for Scotland this year is I think Hamish Watson's probably definitely played himself into the Lions team for me. I think I I, I can't see a a world where I wouldn't want him in the team now. And then um, also on top of that, I think one of the positives for Scotland definitely coming out of this is as much as we they already had. you know, those strong individual star players, they, they seem to be developing more and more of those now to the point where, um, you know, despite what will probably now look be looked back on as, as a disappointing tournament on the whole, considering the initial start, could be quite a big part of their development as a team over the next few years. Sweet. Anyway, on to Italy-Wales. <laughs> the Six Nations is pretty much my Glastonbury. For me, it's a six-week festival. And some bloody good ruggers. And what was probably the biggest shock of the weekend, Italy 7, Wales 48. The shock being that when Wales were about 20 hundred thousand up after about five minutes, they didn't go on to win by 100 points. I'll start with Tomas first. How are you feeling, mate? Yeah, not great. I'm feeling, uh, yeah, feeling bad for, for Uncle Franco for sure. You were speculating on Franco Smith's state of mind during the game. He said, how's he going to last eight more years? He's already graying. Were there any positives to take from that performance? Or is it just one that we should just, you know, chuck aside? I'm really trying, Chris, but uh, try as I might. The the fact that, you know, they were conceding at the rate of a, a point a minute or whatever in the, in the first half is kind of, uh, was pretty dispiriting. Uh, I don't know how many more years of that eight-year cycle that Franco Smith was talking about he's, he's got left in him because it's, uh, it's looking like a pretty daunting task. I've got a positive, if, if Thomas can't think of one. Yeah, Tom, please. <laughs> um, that Monte Iwani try, that was a bit of, bit of X factor out of nowhere. And that is the kind of thing Italy need more of, special players, because he's clearly got the X factor. I think we've talked about him, we've talked about Garbisi. There's some pretty good talent there. They just need to kind of gel a team around them and, and hopefully find some more players with Italian grandmas. Montiwani, he's got the X factor. How would he do in a final with Leona Lewis and JLS? He'll win, but then we'll never hear from him again because the winner never goes anywhere. You've got to come second. You got Have you guys seen the YouTube video explaining why that happens? It's actually quite good. I recommend it. No, but um, I'd, I'd urge all our listeners to try and find that in their own time. But Wales, I mean, they're probably going to win the tournament. Uh, I've left it to last in the podcast because I know it's not something that anyone really enjoys, a Wales Six Nations victory. But know, what do you think? I mean, there's not much we've learned from them as a team based on this performance, but what do you think about their chances overall? I mean, they have to be favourites, just mathematically. They're the most likely winners. I normally... I'm sort of a minor supporter of Wales. I kind of like it when they win, to be honest, unlike most, it seems, on the podcast. But I don't particularly like this Wales team. Just, you know, the likes of George North playing in the centre, the sort of chopping and changing at scrum half. Other than, you know, Alan Wynne-Jones and Liam Williams doing their usual thing, it's uh, it's a bit of a an uninspiring Welsh side. But, you know, they're getting the job done, so can't really complain. 
Uh, I don't think they'll take away that much from this performance other, other than just sort of the general confidence of, you know, scoring a few tries in a Six Nations game is always good. And they'll be going to Paris knowing that that's this is the, the game. This is like, this is what you play for is that last game away to win the tournament, get the grand slam. You know, that's, most of these players have done it before, which is a huge help. And uh, they'll, they'll be raring for it, raring to go. It makes that game so fun, actually. For a neutral, it really does set up the tournament beautifully. Johnny, how do you feel about Wales being good? Um, yeah, I think Wales have, uh, you know, blown everyone's minds a little bit. It's, it wasn't really what any, I think any of us were expecting. Uh, they, and you know what? It gets to a point where once you start putting wins together, they stop being jammy and they actually start being some good form. And it gets to a point where you can't really say anything. You just sort of have to applaud the fact that they've gotten the wins and they've secured it. And I remember uh, under Gatland, I think there was a period just before the World Cup where they went something like 11 unbeaten or something. I think that period of time, they weren't necessarily blowing teams away in those games, but they were finding a way to win consistently. And that's what brought them such success under Gatland. So I think really Pivak can walk away from this tournament with, a, with his head held high and, uh, and, a, and a real sense that, you know, there's been progress this year. And if they win that Grand Slam, I mean, it will probably be one of the most impressive Grand Slams I've ever seen. It will probably be, it'll be a, it'll be a standout Grand Slam because of the fact that, you know, for a team to effectively be, you know, written off in basically their first three games is mind-boggling to me. But, you know, that's, a, that's the Six Nations, you know, you can get a bit of form, get a, get a decent run going. And then suddenly you've got the Grand Slam, you've got the Triple Crown and you've got a chance of winning the, uh, you know, the tournament as a whole. Uh, let's cut to SP Sapper. Did we learn anything new from this game? Are there any stats of interest, please? Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Sapper's Corner. Thanks again, Chris. So this was an interesting game because there was actually less discrepancy in these stats between the two teams than you might have thought given the scoreline. For possession, Wales didn't dominate and they just edged it with 52% possession and each team spent comparable time in each other's halves. They also each had a comparable number of handling errors, Italy with 15 and Wales with 19. And the story was the same for missed tackles, Italy having 17 and Wales 16. So that begs the question, where did the difference between them come? I think part of the answer is definitely found in the number of turnovers, as Wales had seven of these, and they used them wisely, compared to Italy's four. In terms of standout players, uh, Wales' Josh Navidi was named man of the match for all the work he did behind the scenes. He assisted Callum Sheedy's try with an offload, and made 33 metres and seven carries. He also completed 18 tackles, which was the highest number for Wales. Wales' Ken Owens also definitely deserves an honourable mention, as he scored two tries. So. All in all, it's unfortunately another disappointing result for Italy, but more closely contested than you might have thought if you just look at the stats in detail. But as they say, there's only one stat that matters in the end, and that's scoreline. Over and out. Thank you, Sapper. Anyway, Thomas, any thoughts on Ken Owens this weekend, scoring two tries in that game? Well, the Sheriff was in fine form, wasn't he? And I like to think that our jingle played a, played a key part in his, uh, in his tournament, really. I've, I've heard he's a, he's a big fan of the pod, Chris. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm sure that's what spurred him on, really. Tom Masters, you had some thoughts about Wales before we wrap up this segment. Yeah, just going on from what Thomas said about Ken, uh, yeah, first name terms after his pod listens. Um, I think, I know it's only Italy, but it was kind of a complete performance, I think, from Wales. They kind of scored their tries through the malls, scored their tries in the forwards, as, you know, Owen scored twice. 
but then they also would throw the ball wide and I go on about them every week because I feel like you have to but Louis Roussamet is just so quick and uh, just brings joy when I see him pick up the interception and he's made about five metres and the Italian wing has just given up because he knows he's not going to catch him so um, yeah we talk about the Lions a bit and I think he's probably got to be in, in contention now He is very good isn't he if I may be so bold but to ask Thomas, could you give us a rendition of um, The Sheriff Don't Like um, acoustically, please? Sure. The Sheriff Don't Like It. Rock the Casbah, rock the Casbah. The Sheriff Don't Like It. Rock the Casbah, rock the Casbah. Really oh, that was good. I'm going to cancel you now. <laughs> no, mate, I've got chills. I've got chills. That was wonderful. Even better live than on the than on the recording. All right. Well, on to the next segment. One, two, three. The sheriff don't like it. The sheriff that is Ken Owens. Rock the Casbah. Rock the Casbah. The sheriff don't like it. He thinks it's not kosher. Rock the Casbah. Rock the Casbah. Seriously, Ken, I wanted it kosher. Well, that rounds off a actually genuinely really good weekend of rugby this week. Uh, but we're, as always, we're going to end the podcast by going around the panel and asking who everyone's player of the week is and flop of the week is. So I'm going to go to Tom Masters first. You told me you'd, you were thinking about this last night off the clock. I'm always working off the clock, Chris. I never stop. Um, my player of the week, and I'm going to do it mainly because I slagged them off a lot last week. Uh, and that is Mara Toji. I thought against Wales, he was terrible. He gave away a lot of penalties and was a main problem for Wales breezing that in the end. But against France, I thought he was just brilliant. Obviously, he scored a winning try. Uh, he was everywhere. He was a menace, especially in the second half. And I think he gave one penalty away, but that was one of those ones where you sort of rolling away, which I kind of almost don't count them because they're quite difficult not to do. So I thought generally, yeah, that was more like the Mara Toji that we all know and love. Yeah, for sure. And your flop of the week, Tom? This one's, I've gone a bit left field here um, and perhaps slightly harsh because he did score a try. But I've gone for Josh Adams because uh, he should have scored a lot more. One of them, he somehow ended up in touch uh, and the other one, he managed to hold himself up over the line and then go out into touch. So I think for someone of his calibre in terms of finishing off tries, that was a bit of a disappointing afternoon for him. Yeah, for sure. Um I'm just saying for sure for everything you're saying. Yeah, for sure. Thomas, made me say for sure. Got to be Anthony Watson for my my star of the weekend, kind of a sign of the sign of the way forward for Eddie Jones and doing particularly well on his on his 50th cap. Uh, as you mentioned, and my flop of the weekend has to be Finn Russell, I'm afraid. Big things expected of him pre-tournament, and he has been generally pretty great, I think, but that match against Ireland, he just kind of he came up came up against Johnny Sexton, and and I'm afraid he he couldn't hold a candle to him. For sure, Louis, give me a, a French flop. Oh, my flop has to be uh, Fabien Galtier. After that first half, he played a blinder. He had France chucking the ball around, really testing England's fitness. You know, making them work hard and think differently than they had to in their first few games. And then in the second half, he just he didn't follow through. He didn't bring on the subs. He didn't change things up and he let England regain the ascendancy and eventually get the win. So that guy is a bottle job based on this tournament as a whole. Uh, well, who's your player of the week? 
My player of the week is Ian Henderson from Ireland. I think he put in a really prototypical Six Nations lock performance. 16 tackles, two turnovers, one. Grinded one out to get a win away from home. Just perfect Irish uh, scrum play. Wonderful. Johnny, round us off. My player of the week uh, is going to be Ty Byrne. I thought it was a real uh, powerful performance and, uh, you know, he did well to get his try. I thought he was all over the park. I thought, you know, he obviously pitches in at the set piece as well. So I thought he was class. I think it'd be really hard for me not to give it to him. Uh, and then my flop of the week is Russell, but for a, di- for a different reason. It's because in that last play of the game with two minutes left, right, Russell just chipped the ball over, did a nothing chip and threw away the ball Right, Scotland could have worked their way up to the halfway line and then seen what the situation was. I was just like, be patient, take your time, right? And then the, when they got the ball back with with the clock basically over, um, with time uh, with time up, and basically the last play of the game, uh, they were actually further back than when he kicked it in the first place. Uh, and if he'd maybe gotten it right, who knows what could have happened? Fair enough. Well, anyway, that rounds off the podcast. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining me, Tom Masters. Thanks for being here. Thanks a lot for having me, Chris. I hope I've been a bit more positive this week. No, your, your positivity was wonderful. Thomas, cheers for coming. Good to be here. And let's just pray there's an Italy win against Scotland next week, I'm, uh, I believe. Yeah, mate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Keep praying. Uh, Jolly, thank you. Uh, cheers, Chris. Legend as always. Cheers, guys. So, mate, hope you get over the weekend's uh, snub. Louis. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely cannot wait for uh, Super Saturday next week. It's the best sporting week of the year. Yeah, it's going to be great, actually. Um, Anyway, also thank you to SB Sapper, who's been manning Sapper's corner, as always. Just a very valiant boy. Anyway, we'll see you at the end of the week for the preview of the weekend. And until that time, have a lovely week. Thank you. again next week when I reckon we'll probably be still talking about the Six Nations because it's so bloody long. Please come back.